good to have everybody. What's up, Pro Street Church? Say hello to somebody as you are taking a seat here today. So good to have you guys. Man, it's always good to take a week off, okay? A week, I said, not three. Some of you guys taking three weeks off. Haven't seen you. Welcome back. Some of you guys took off a year. Great to see you back. In Jesus' name, right there. It's good to see everybody. It was good to take a week off last week. I don't know as a pastor you can actually take a week off, uh, but it was a good time last week. We got to watch online services. We were going from Port Aransas to the aquarium. We've never been to the aquarium before, which was awesome. And uh, as my Tesla was driving me, I put the service on on my phone and I was you know, showing it to the girls and they were on their iPads. And as soon as I put the service on, they're like, forget the iPads, we're getting into worship. So it was cool. Last week we got to worship in a Tesla last week, which was awesome. And uh, it was great. And I'll tell you, man, we got some people in the church that can preach. They know how to preach. Pastor Greg, Pastor Faith, and Pastor Noe threw down last week. So good. Talking about being rooted in the house, right? We're in the series Rooted right now, talking about rooted in the house. And man, they had so many good points. I felt, I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a good message. Amen. And, uh, you know, um, so it was good. It was good. If you weren't here last week, you got to go back and check it out. They did such a great job. And uh, yeah, we're privileged to have them as pastors in our house. Now we are, we had 21 new people in our church last week that went to Next Steps, which was cool, legit. Um, I don't know, every summer for Pearl Street, it seems like people take vacations to our church. It's like they have an excuse to not go to their church. It's like, oh yeah, they're on vacation and they're at, and they're at Pearl Street. So um, we do, a, we, it's a good thing for us to be like, hey, you got energized, now go back and love your church and be, get back there. But uh, it, it was uh, pretty awesome. God is moving, things are happening. So if you're new, never been here before, welcome to Pearl Street Church. I'm Pastor Brent. I get to lead the crazy movement. We're seven years into the journey and God's moving and grooving. Hey man, yeah. Whoa. It is awesome. Thomas is amazing. Tom and Mar Thomas and Marsha, they lead the ushers, FYI. That's who they So they're all about... Just start talk, keep on talking about you guys. You guys are awesome. Um, but uh, we are a church after the unchurched. Uh, we want to see unchurched people come to know Jesus Christ and uh, God's love for them. That is what we're called to do. And we want to lead people to know him, grow in him, become like him. Uh, the thing, though, is we are an uncompromised church. Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to heaven except through him. We stand firm. This whole series that we're in called Rooted is based on that. We are rooted in in Christ. We're not rooted in anything else other than that. There is no other truth out there. Um, every other truth is inferior. I'll say it that way. Every other truth in the world is inferior to the truth of Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. And so we've looked at Colossians and we've been in this series called Rooted. And Colossians uh, is a, uh, let's put it up, uh, Colossians 2 is a, a great scripture inside of here because it's talking about, man, uh, at, and now just as you have accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. So there's the start of salvation through Christ Jesus, but there's a continuation. Some of us feel like it's one and done. God, Jesus, we good. Reality is you start with Jesus, but you got to keep on growing in Jesus. So go on to say, let your roots grow down into who? Him. You got to let them grow into him. Uh, got to let them grow into Jesus and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth, not a truth, the truth. Um, you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. We live in a world here today that roots are growing in all the wrong things. And we wonder why we're so jacked up. 
as a culture, why the church is so compromised as individuals, right? We, we don't even know what the heck we believe. There's a whole generation of people that have been uh, thrown to the wolves without any clear direction. The Bible says, train a child in the way, way they shall go. When they're older, they will not depart from it. But we've been so absorbed in building our own kingdoms here in this life that we've allowed our children to go to the wolves and the wolves have compromised our children. Now our children are half in the church, half out of the church. They kind of like Jesus because he's a good idea, but they don't believe him as the absolute truth. So therefore, when another idea is entered into the equation, they struggle to stand firm upon Jesus Christ. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, that when you take my principles, you build your life, you will stand firm against the trials and the tribulations inside of this life. But if you don't, you are a fool. If you don't listen to my teachings and build your life, you're a fool. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. And he says, when the storms come, it obliterates your foundation. And so what happens when a global pandemic happens? Lives are destroyed. Now, here's the deal. Ecclesiastes talks about there's a time to sow, there's a time to reap, there's a time to build, there's a time to tear down. FYI, church community, this is a season to tear down. The American Western concept is so accustomed to growth and expansion and salvation. Guess what? We're tearing this sucker down because it's way too compromised. It's time to get on the threshing floor. It's time to start grinding the wheat. It's time to start letting some, throwing up some wheat and the chaff at the same time and let the wind blow the chaff away. And let's get back to some seeds that really want to build the kingdom of God. So we are, uh, that's not even part of a message, but I'm going with it. So we're uncompromised as a church. We speak the truth. This is not, uh, um, the, you know, the challenge in our culture today um, is it's all grace. That's the problem with this generation. It's all grace. It's all compassion. You can't hold firm to truth. You can't speak, speak your own truth against somebody else's truth because that's hurtful and hateful and you'll be called a bigot and, and it's all this fear around what truth is and, and speaking an absolute truth. And, and so today, what do you get? We, we're celebrating. There's a whole month that is celebrating wickedness. That, that's the, the whole month that we are in right now is celebrating a lifestyle that's unbiblical. And there's Christians that are actually advocating for it. What? Right? So we're so compromised in our understanding of truth that now as Christians, we just operate in compassion and grace. It's all grace. It's all compassion. We can't speak truth. So we celebrate these things, but they're completely against the truth of God's word. What has happened? A generation has now compromised our children. They've gotten to the minds and captured compassion, grace. Oh, and our children are like, well, what's wrong with it? And what is this? Our kids, until they're 18 years old, don't have the ability to reason and understand. So it takes Christians being wise as serpents and humble as doves, knowing what truth is and knowing how to operate in grace and truth, just like Jesus did. Jesus never affirmed a lifestyle outside of God's design. He always loved individuals that were outside of God's design. He never affirmed lifestyles outside of it. Make sense? We want, the world wants a, an affirming church to wickedness and sinfulness. That's what the world wants. And that's where the compromise happens. Individuals are like, yeah, let's affirm it. No, we're not affirming it. We're gonna stand firm upon truth and we're gonna encourage people to transformation in Christ Jesus. So we love people right where they're at. That's why I say, when you come in, man, we love people. We, right, we want to love people right where they're at. We want to help them. We want to encourage them. 
but we would never affirm something that's not biblical. Right? Truth. Truth. So we'll get more into that in a minute and we'll bring some more clarity on that. But we're in a series right now called Rooted. And the conversation we want to have today is we want to pray like Jesus. We want to be rooted in prayer. With all the complexity of our society today, if we're constantly um, persuaded by the, the ruler of this world, we will be compromised in our ability in order to exist as Jesus would desire us to. And so there's power in our prayer. Prayer gets us into communication with our creator. Uh, prayer gets us into a place that we are transformed into his likeness, not ours. Prayer gets us into a place that we need to be, not where we have placed ourselves. That, that's the power of prayer. Like we, we get into this place, we got... You know, we're there, we're communicating with something bigger, greater, and it's not just something, it's someone, it's the creator of the universe that has breathed life in our lungs. So here we are, uh, uh, you know, the prayer is this key thing and part of our lives. Now, how many of you guys have ever been in a place where you have miscommunicated with somebody? You ever been there before? Miscommunication. If you are married, you understand this greatly, okay? <laughs> the top two things for divorce, money, communication. Two things for divorce, money and communication right there. You can be married for so long that you assume you know what the other person is thinking and what the wrong assumptions lead to bad outcomes. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You ain't been here before, right? You know what I'm talking about. So just yesterday, Heather and I were at SeaWorld. It was awesome. And uh, uh, I made this assumption, you know, the, I think it was three weeks ago, we went to SeaWorld and it was the first time, Ether, uh, first time Ellis has ever rode the, the log ride. She's, she's five years old now. She's able to ride the ride. She's got the right height now. It's awesome. So she was the first time she rode the log ride. Now it was the, the greatest experience and the most horrific experience of her life all in one. So you don't know what you're walking into, but you enjoy it while it happened, but it scared the living daylights out of you. So more than likely the fear is latched hold of you more so than the joy that you had temporarily. So the whole morning we were talking about just yesterday, two weeks beyond is now we got our cousins with us. Willow is with her. She's a little bit older. She was with Ellis. And uh, they were like holding hands and talking about, we're going to go on the ride and it's going to be amazing. So the whole morning, my understanding is, is that Heather, Willow, and Ellis are all going on the ride. They're going to do this ride together and it's going to be amazing. So we get to the log ride. We have, uh, I have two daughters, Ellis and Bryn, for those that don't know. Ellis is five. Bryn is two. She's a little crazy like her daddy. So it takes a little bit. Uh, of management over her life to stay tuned in. And uh, so I have Brent and it's a handful and uh, she's wanting to do everything under the sun of which I'm trying to save her life off always and other people's um, at the same time. So I take Brinley and we start moving. Well, Ellis keeps on moving with them. So I'm like, cool. And so I go over and we're in splash zone. You know how well, you go to, go to the ride and then you go to splash zone. We go to splash zone. And so Heather goes and, and they take off and they go jump on the ride. Well, uh, about, 50, about 20 minutes later, they're finally coming down and I take the video. I'm like, Phew. I got the 4K, I got the new iPhone. So I got the 4K, 60 frames per second. It's like, Phew. I can see everything. So I'm looking at this video. I'm like, where's Ellis at? Uh, maybe she's behind that seat. Well, there's no seat over there but I'm gonna assume there's a seat there. I don't see her, I see Willow, I see Heather, I don't see Ellis. Heather gets back about 10 minutes later after the ride, this is about 30 minutes, 25 minutes after 
the departure. And she says, where's Ellis? I say, yeah. She's all right with you, right? That's that OMG moment, 30 minutes. You don't know where your kid is. You're the worst parent alive. And you are praying the grace of God, right? God, your provision. I pray you've heard all my prayers. I, ah, freak out, run. Ah. Well, luckily, uh, Heather or Ellis speaks Spanish because there was a Spanish-speaking lady right there that was able to talk to my daughter in Spanish. And Ellis speaks Spanish, so they talked and she communicated. That woman stood there for 30 minutes with Ellis because she went after mom. I went this way and realized they were going fast. She turned back and I wasn't there. Now, here's the deal. Miscommunication causes bad outcomes. It just that way, if you miscommunicate, you don't, you're not on the same page, the same level, the same communication, same level of understanding, there's bad outcomes on the other side of it. You can see it in marriages all over the place. Assumptions, not communicating properly, not clarifying, that lead towards bad assumptions and bad outcomes. You've been there. Same thing in our relationship with our creator. We live a life of assumption, but never stepping into communication. If we're honest inside of here, we all have a problem with prayer. If I said it, hey, who's killing the prayer game in here? You're just killing it, crushing the prayer game. How many of you guys would raise your hands? Crushing it. Prayer closet, got a prayer room at my house, just killing the game. More than likely, in our over-digitalized world, more than likely, if there is a problem in our spiritual lives, it's with prayer. It is the hardest thing for us to slow down. You guys remember 20 years ago, whenever you actually had a moment without a, a bright screen in your hand, connecting you to everything and anything that you want? You remember 20 years ago when you're standing in the grocery line and the person had like 500 items in front of you and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to be here a while. What am I going to do? I'm going to look at the, the crazy magazine, the Us Weekly or whatever it is, or I'm going to sit here and think and have a moment to myself and I'm actually going to be able to process a few things. I'm not occupied by this device that now has consumed my energy, my, my, my thinking, I'm, I'm going to actually tune in to maybe God. Remember 20 years ago when that was a reality? What's our reality today? There's multi-billion dollar corporations that in R&D are figuring out how to occupy your time. We live in a consumer digital age where your time is to their benefit. Oh, you own the phone and you pay for it, but they own you. You tuned into it, right? We have a world today where there's a lot of miscommunication with the creator of the universe. And we wonder why we're so off in our spiritual lives. We wonder why we're, we're acting out of alignment with the will of God in our lives because we are not communicating with him. We wonder why things aren't happening around us and changing in our circumstances because we're not communicating. Let's be honest. If we're honest, the biggest problem, probably in our spiritual lives, is prayer. A massive challenge that if we look, the Bible would tell us this is something that we should be very persistent in. 
Let's look at Romans 12. If you want to go with me for a second. Romans 12, it talks about being persistent in prayer. Paul, writing to the church, church in Rome, would write, these are the characteristics. He writes a whole paragraph and, and talks about, hey, these are, these are characteristics of a Christian, of a believer. And he would say this in uh, verse number nine. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. What is he saying? Do not be lazy in your passion, your passion in life. Be fervent in your spirit. What is he saying? Be, be, be excited. Be, be passionate about your, your godly character. Be passionate about the things of God in your life. Serve the Lord. Verse number 12, though, he says, rejoice in hope. Where's our hope? It's in Jesus Christ. The Bible says the hope set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Well, the hope set before us, we endure this world. Our hope is in Christ Jesus. Be patient in tribulation. That's one of these words that we're going to really get to know over our lifetime. As Christians, we're in a post-Christian, post-church nation. We're going to get to know this word very well. Be constant in what? Prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This key word inside of here in verse number 12 is constant in prayer. What does that mean? If you break it down, what is it trying to say is be persistent, be unwavering, build it into your life. Don't let it just be something that you do haphazardly. Let it be something that you build in every single day. You are constant. You persevere. You keep on pressing in. Even when things are bad, you still are praying. You have a practice inside of your life. It's not when you get a chance to do it. It's the first thing you do. It's something you are diligent in. You are persistent. You are constantly pressing for it. Prayer pushing in. You know, First Thessalonians, Thessalonians would say it this way. First Thessalonians 5, 17 says, rejoice always. Live a life of rejoice. Be a person that joy is coming out of you. Rejoicing always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is it? Pray without ceasing. Have this consistency inside of your life where you never stop communicating. You are constantly over-communicating, right? It's the same thing. You just think about relationships in your life. The, the relationships that you over-communicate, that you always share your heart, you're always throwing it in there, is usually your best relationships. But the ones that you don't, you assume a lot, are usually the worst relationships you have. You're constantly like, well, I don't know where we're at. How's it going? It's over communicating, constantly praying, constantly tuning in, constantly bringing God into the equation. I'm, I'm waking up this morning. I don't feel good. God, will you touch my body? I'm just not feeling good. My mind feels jacked up this morning. Man, God, I need you to step in and help calm my mind. I'm living in anxiety right now, God. I got this bad report yesterday. I've toiled all night long and I've woken up in anxiety. I need you to give me a peace because I don't feel peaceful right now. God, I show up to my workplace and this person comes over and says something negative or, or says something that I did not like. God, I, I protect my mind, protect my heart right now because I'm leaning towards anger and frustration towards this individual. God, guard my heart now that I may see properly, I may think properly, that my life would get into alignment with what your word says to operate in love, although I feel like I've been hurt and wounded. 
It's bringing him into the constant conversation of our lives that he is always there in the mix, that we are constant in our prayer, that we don't have moments that it's like, well, I'm going to have this idea. I think we should do this. It's tuning in to say, God, I feel like I'm being led by your spirit to do this. That, that's the constant, consistent prayer that he wants. It's, it's constantly tuning in that we're in the best position to win according to his plan. That's all, it's all it is, constant in prayer. But here's the deal. The enemy loves this. He loves that the greatest place that we can be transformed is the very thing that the enemy of this world is using to push us away from. Occupy your life with everything else other than quiet time with God. Let me cut you off from the power that can change you into my likeness. You don't have time for it. You know what? If we're honest, we would probably say it really doesn't have much effect. Outcomes are going to be what outcomes are either way. If I pray, I don't pray. God may not necessarily. He's, his will is going to be done either way. It doesn't really matter. God's not going to change anything. If we're honest, sometimes we can get caught in a secular mentality, right? We can get caught in this thing and like, well, I only pray when I need something, right? God's too busy, busy up there. He doesn't have time for me. It's the exact opposite. We know what God says. He says, come to me. Or Jesus would say that we come to me all weary, uh, uh, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Ask, and you shall receive. We, we know what the word says, but we allow the ruler of this world to discourage. And we remove ourselves from the very communication and presence that could transform us and change everything, lead to the outcomes that we desire. You know what we got to do? We got to pray like Jesus prays. We got to pray like Jesus. Jesus modeled this for us. Everything I just said, Jesus modeled this for us. He was consistent in prayer. Luke, when he writes his book, he was not a disciple, but he came to know Jesus later in his life, but he was an intellectual man. He was a doctor. He said, you know what? In Luke 1, he says, man, I'm, I want to give my account. I've done all the research. I've read all the books. I'm a scholar. I mean, uh, I'm, a, I'm a studier. I brought everything together. I've had all these conversations with all the disciples. Let me tell my account as not a disciple's perspective, but an individual that came to know Jesus after his death. And he would go in to write this. And one of the key things he would highlight inside of the book of Luke, his book, is prayer. Jesus praying. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 5, five verse 15 16, and 16 says this, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Verse number 16 says, but he would withdraw to what? Desolate places and pray. Jesus had all of these people coming with their needs and their issues, but even under the stress of what he was walking through, he knew the importance of getting away and praying. Come on, there's some really high capacity people sitting in here today. One decision you make could change the outcome of millions and millions of dollars. The woman that had an issue with blood, she spent 12 years going in the wrong direction until she had the presence of God, the touch of Jesus. It took a nanosecond to get her body healed. What I'm saying, you need one moment with Jesus to change the outcomes of possibly those in which you lead. Do not allow the enemy to mess up your life that you are too busy to get away to pray. 
it is way too critical that you don't get away to pray. Build it into your life. People's lives and their families depend on you, your decision-making, your wisdom, your counsel. I mean, they, they depend on you. Don't take that lightly. Luke 6, 12 says this, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Come on, somebody. Jesus had, it was so good. He's like, can't stop this. Come on, how many of us have a prayer life like that? You get into praying, you're like, oh man, I ain't stopping. I ain't even going to sleep. What's going on right here? I'm going all night, okay? I've never been there before. But if you have, God bless you. I haven't been there. I'm working too. I'm I'm preaching myself with you today, okay? This is a hard area. I get it. Luke chapter 9, verse 18 says, Now it happens that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? What is he saying? What is he saying inside of here? He was praying alone. He was praying. Jesus was praying. He had his time. You go on down to Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36 is a moment in time, and I'll just paraphrase it. But Jesus goes up on a mountain. He's got John and Peter with him, Peter, James, and John with him. And ultimately he begins to pray. And as he prays, he's transformed. He's transfigured, right? He has this whole encounter. And essentially this is what our desire is. Just like Jesus, as we begin to pray, we're transformed. Just as Jesus was transformed. We are transformed in these moments by the presence of God into the likeness of him to accomplish his will here on this earth. But you look at Luke chapter 11, this is where it gets good. And this is where the disciples have some questions. Luke chapter 11, verse one through four, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Again, highlighting Jesus had a habit, a routine of praying. He would get away and pray. And it says, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and let us not into temptation or lead us not into temptation. This is the only place in all of scripture where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something. The only place. The disciples are seeing, witnessing. Remember, these guys are trying to be Jesus. He is their rabbi. They are close. They're smell. They want to smell like him. They want to walk like him. They want to talk like him. They want to be close. Jesus, we see something about your life and we don't got it. Teach us how to do this. It's the only place they ask to be taught something. Teach us how to pray. And Jesus would respond this prayer, which we know as the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us, right? Bam. We all know it. And here's the problem though. We can see it as something that we repeat, not a model in which we do. We can see it as something we recite, but not a method in which we pray in. Right? We'll get locked into the words which are said, but not into the heart behind what is being communicated. And so we got to be careful that we don't become Christian zombies where we are just repeating things, but we actually have a brain. We are processing what truth is. We are applying these to our lives and we are practicing just like Jesus would if he was here on this earth. 
We ourselves are disciples. We want to be like him. We want to talk like him. We want to think like him. We want to pray like him. We want to do in every aspect of our life, live just like Jesus. And this is how he would tell us to pray. So if we want to talk about it, we want to pray like Jesus prays. Now, Matthew 6 would, um, would expound upon this, the same ideas. And I'm going, to, I'm going to read that one because that's a little bit more familiar to us as far as what we know about the Lord's Prayer. But I want to break this down as we go for understanding. What is Jesus saying as he prays this out? What is he communicating to us? The first thing right off the bat, Jesus says this. When you pray, say it like this. Our Father. Our Father. We know because of the work of Christ, what is Jesus doing? He's saying, just as I am intimate with the Creator, you yourself should come to the, the Creator just as I am, as Father. He is a Father, Heavenly Father. He is our leader. He is our Lord. He is leading. I mean, he's a good Father. You would even see on the back end of this where he says, man, how much more is a, you know, if an earthly father knows how to good give, give good gifts, how much more does a heavenly father know how? He's trying to change the perspective on how we see fatherhood because our perception may be different based on our experiences than actually the nature of a heavenly father. Come on, some of us in here, we've lived in a world where the, the family unit has absolutely been obliterated in our culture today. It's happened over a long period of time through a lot of different methods, and I'm not going down that road here today to bring all that reality in. All I know is this, is that the family structure has been destroyed by the ruler of this world. That's why we live in the chaos in which we live in. I just want to go down that road so far. I just can't. I've been there before. It's obliterated. So we have these false perceptions, negative ideas around what father is. And let's be honest inside here. We all have different experiences. If you are in here and you've been molested by your dad, you've been molested by a man, whatever it may be, you have these negative, like you just never got along with your dad, you, you never communicated with your father, and it's just this negative funk. I've said it a lot around our staff lately. If there's funk in our junk, we got to get the funk out of the junk. We can't allow the funk to be in the junk to, to remove us from truth to remove us from right living, from right actions, from right you know, um, uh, behaviors. We can't allow the funk to exist in the junk. We got to press in and say, this is funky. Let's get the funk out of our junk, yeah. right? Open up the trunk, get the funk out the junk, you know, whatever it is. I, I flip it up in staff meetings. I'm like, blah, you know, a... but we got to get in there. And if you have some funk in your junk towards a father, more than likely you're going to struggle to see God properly. I love how John Tyson says it. John Tyson says this. He's a pastor out of New York. He says, um, let's see here. He says, I got it right here. There we go. He says, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. If you got that funk in your junk, you're never going to be drawn to a conversation with this negative perception you have around father. I love that. So good. He says, the angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years, and they still haven't gotten past the word holy. Holy, 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 the angels sing. If you're bored with God, you may be the person who is boring. <laughs> Isn't that so good? If you're bored with God, you're probably the one that's boring. 
You're talking about the creator of the universe, that one word thing stepped into existence and you're bored in a conversation with him. Come on, think about the most interesting conversation you've had with anybody you've ever spoken to ever in existence in your life and how fascinated and captivated you were in that conversation. And then you get into a conversation with the person that created that individual that you're fascinated with their intellect, their ability, and you yourself are not wowed by the very creator of the individual you're wowed by. That was just two cents. That's not on my note. Okay. So if you're bored with God, you may be the person who is boring, or it could be that you're just too distracted by trivia uh, in our culture. When you break through that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of who God really is. Isn't that good? That is so good. I don't have to preach anymore on that. That is just so good. He is our father. You got a negative perspective on him, that's your issue to work out, right? He'll help us through that, but it's a, it's a grueling process that has beautiful outcomes. Way into it. I always say this, why live 10 years in funk and junk when you can just go to Jesus and maybe spend six months, spend a year working it out, but then live free for the rest of your life? Why would you not do that? You've been there before, right? You've had a squeak in a door, a challenge or something like that. You're like, don't deal with it, don't deal with it. And all of a sudden it explodes. And you're like, why did I not just fix the problem? We've all been there. Fix the problem. Get the funk out the junk. So the first thing is this, father, see him properly. Come to him as father. He is good. You know, whenever I walk into my house, I'm father, I'm dad. What happens whenever you walk into the house? If you're, if you're a father and a mother, what happens whenever you walk into the house? How do your kids respond? It's a good indication of your care over that relationship you have with them. And if you have a negative reaction when you walk into the house and your kids are unmoved, you might want to do some work to start repairing relationship and changing their perception of you. Because if they see you as an absent father, an unloving father, that's nobody else's problem. That's not the kid's problem. They're just picking up on what you're laying down. When I walk in the house, you better believe, daddy, my two girls are running hard in the paint after their daddy. Why? Because they know daddy loves them. Even after I'm like hard on them, I'm like, you want a spanking on that backside? You want me to lift you up out of that bathtub? I'll do it like this. That's how I love doing it. You want me to lift you up out of the bathtub and spank your backside like that? No, daddy. No, no. And then when I do, bop. Oh, world's falling apart. Oh, my God. I'll say, sit in timeout, two minutes. And after a minute, they don't know what time it is. You know, <laughs> after a minute, I'm like, okay, you ready to get out of timeout? And Bryn is a hard-headed, no, no, I'm not ready. I'm like, okay, you're just going to stay in timeout then. <laughs> but then she'll pop out in just a minute. And what I make them do is, meet all host. <laughs> Hands behind your back right now. Hands behind your back. Look me in the eyes. Meet all host. I like using my Spanish. It's about as good as I get, you know. <laughs> It sounds a little like, you know, you better watch out for La Chancla right in the Hispanic homes, amen? It just has some gravitas to it. Like, oh, hands behind your backs. I want that order. I want them to be like, you know, tell me you're sorry for X, Y, and Z. And they will. She does that whole bit. Even after harsh direction, right? God disciplines the ones in which he loves, right? We should be very accustomed to confrontation, correction from our heavenly father. We've just grown up in a culture that has no correction, no discipline, no boundaries. It's just free for all. You can do whatever you want. You feel it. You like it, whatever else. 
We don't understand what boundaries are. There really is boundaries that God has order around life. We can't just do what we want. There really is order. He's the creator. He decides what, he decides what the order is in his kingdom. We're just either going to decide to live in our own kingdom and do whatever the heck we want or in his kingdom that has order. There's order. Even after all of that harshness, they still die because what? They know daddy loves them. Daddy loves them. It's the same thing. We should, man, our heavenly father has good intentions for us. He loves us. He is for us. He is behind us. He wants our best uh, to be lived out. He has the best intentions for us. So our father, now the second part of this, our father in heaven. We see this as this like clouds up there and just like Cupid angels and blah, 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 floating. And that, that's our American Western concept of what this is. In the Jewish context, their understanding was the God of the air, the God of all things. He is everywhere, all everywhere at all the same time. He is so close. He's up against your skin. He is so close. He is breathed into your lung cavity. God in heaven. He's everywhere. The, the intention behind this, Jesus is saying, realize you have a good heavenly father and that heavenly father is closer than anything else in your life. He is so close. He cares. He's for you. He's so close. Hallowed be thy name. Come on. Has anybody been like, how is your name, girl? Have you ever said that to your wife? How is your name, girl? Anybody ever said that? You can use it later. Thank you very much. Okay. How is your name? Hallowed be your name. Jesus is saying, we as, as believers, we as followers should have the, 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 the position of our heart should be hallowed is his name. Anybody ever talked bad about your mom or dad before? And you like, oh, we're going to have a conversation. Anybody ever talked bad about somebody you loved and were like, no, not on my watch. Hallowed, that's what that is. Hallowed is your name. You are revered, revered. You are set apart. You are holy. You are good. Nobody can talk bad about you. Hallowed is your name in my heart. The position of my life is to see you, honor you, respect you. You're not just anybody, anything. You're not my homeboy. You're, you're holy. You're set apart. And I'm going to revere that name. Nobody's going to talk bad about you because you are God of my life. Hallowed is your name. Holy is your name. You are set apart. Your character, your nature is good. Nobody's going to talk bad about you when I'm around. Hallowed be your name. Now here's a good thing. And this will, this will mess up every progressive in the world right here. But more than likely, this is how progressism enters into the church where there's Christians that are compromised in the, from the God of this world and not for the creator of the universe. The God of this world is the devil. It's very clear in God's word. He is the God and the ruler of this world. He was cast out of heaven down to earth. He is the ruler of this world. That's why there's corrupt people that are in places of power that have elevated themselves, that they will not mention the name of Jesus because only by the power of the Holy Spirit can you mention Jesus as Lord. But here you get Christians in the church community that are advocating progressive ideas that are completely contrary to biblical values and principles, believing that a kingdom is going to be set up in alignment with the values of the word with people that are ungodly. And Jesus says, in your prayer, every day that you are persistent in, that you are saying these things, what does he say? Your kingdom come. What? Your will be done. Whose will? Whose kingdom? Is it human kingdom? Is it human ideas? Is it the ruler of this world? No. 
your kingdom come. We want to see your kingdom right here on this earth. We want to see your godliness right here on this earth. Rather than advocating for wickedness month, how about we advocate for godly month? How about that? Why not? How about every organization put up a Christian flag over the top of their emblems? How about that? Why not? It's godly month. We're, we're celebrating righteousness. We're celebrating godliness. We're celebrating holiness. We're revering God for who he is. That's the kingdom that we want here on this earth. We don't want an earthly kingdom. We want a godly kingdom. Amen. <laughs> you know, you know, here's the deal. If we're constant in the chaos of this world, we would be consistent in their means and their methods and their ideas. That's how you get Christians advocating progressive ideas that are completely contrary to God's word. They're trying to build a kingdom, not the kingdom. They're listening to people that are ungodly. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. They'll never profess him as Lord. The Bible is clear. You can only confess Jesus is Lord if the Holy Spirit allows it. You get atheists and agnostics. You get these individuals that are completely compromised building this, this kingdom. And Christians don't have the wisdom to understand the chaos and the evil in which is being inflicted on our world. Scary. Jesus says, pray his kingdom come. Pray his will be done. Not ours, his the thing about the truth is it can corrects and convicts everyone. Nobody is absent of conviction when you speak truth. Nobody. Everybody gets convicted. So Jesus speaks on that. Your kingdom, your will. He goes on to say, on earth as it is in heaven. As it's happening there, let it be here. As it's pure and holy there, let it be here. We know we live in destruction. We know we live in chaos. We know Jesus has saved us from this. He has redeemed us of that. Because of this redemptive work, we are saved by grace. And now we are called sons of God. But we want this here. We advocate for that here. We advocate for those principles here. And everything else, we hold it to the truth. If it's not truthful, we don't advocate for it. Then what do we do? We love individuals where they are at. So don't get me wrong. I know I'm going hard in the paint here and I haven't used like specific terms, but you know what I'm talking about. I don't know, maybe the video will get picked up on YouTube or something. We'll get banned in Syria and Iran and China again. Um, we had that a couple weeks ago. You got banned in Syria, Iran, North Korea. We're like, sweet, awesome. <laughs> the truth will not be preached there. Awesome. Um, but we, We can celebrate these ideas. And here's the problem. Whenever you get into the school system, why are these evil people trying to push this doctrine into spaces for children? Why? A young mind cannot reason the complexities around it. They will just be moved by compassion. It's a big problem in the church world. We want, we're compassionate. We're loving. Jesus was very compassionate, loving too, but he was very truthful too. And so you get a generation, I got a friend that's X, Y, and Z, so I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to fight for them. Well, you can have a friend that's X, Y, and Z. You can love them, but you don't affirm the decisions that are out of line with God's will. You can love them for who they are, but hold firm to a truth on how God's order is. You can do that, right? You can do that in a loving way. 
Although the accusations are this, you're a bigot, you're hateful, you're judgmental. You just sit over here and be like, I am not. Thank you very much for those kind words you said. Let me pray to get my life transformed into the likeness of God so that I don't hurt you. Thank you. And then I can go love you as Jesus loved you. That's the reality in which we live in. As Christians, we got to be wise as serpents. We're not, if they tread on our grace, we can't fall victim to their accusations, right? We're being graceful and loving. We love you for who you are, but we hold a standard of truth. So we hold that standard there uncompromised. And that's a really hard thing to do because you're going to be called all kinds of things. So you got to be careful. All right. Verse number 11 says, give us our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. What is he saying inside of here? Live a life where you are constantly dependent upon God for your daily needs and provision. Now I'll say this. The same thing is true in tithing. Tithing, if you are not a tither and you are a Christian, you are robbing God and greed has latched hold of your heart. You are serving the God of mammon. Everybody else, if you are not a Christian following Jesus, you don't, I'm not talking to you. But if you profess that you are a Christian and you are not a tither, you are living a disobedient life towards God. Because it's very clear, Malachi 3.10, bring your 10% into the storehouse. Now here's the reason why. If we take all this, we pull it all away. The industrialized society in which we live in. And we go back to the fundamentals. It all started with, we toil the ground, God brings the increase, and then we bring obedience back towards him. We take seed that we did not create. He spoke those seeds into existence. We grab seeds. We put it in his earth. He calls the sun to do his thing, the moon to do its thing, the earth to do its thing, the rain to do its thing, and then increase comes. Then we go harvest what God has brought in tandem, and then he says, bring a tenth of that into my storehouse. That's what he says. If you remove the industrialization out of it and you take it back to the fundamentals, it's very easy to understand. But we live in an industrialized world where we go and invest our time in a workplace and then we are compensated for the time in which we invest because they're reaping upon the time in which we operate responsibility for our jobs. And then our responsibility, if we see properly, is to say 10% of increase is now I'm taking it to the storehouse, the church. It's as simple as that. These concepts aren't like, you know, oh, wow. But in that obedience, you keep your heart in alignment to trust. God is the provider. He, every good gift comes from him. He's given me this opportunity. I'm going to continue to live in obedience towards him. And so this is a similar concept. Daily bread right? Provide the daily bread, my needs inside of life. God, you are the provider of those things. You continue to provide for it. I don't assume that I'm going to have it forever. I'm constantly going to you. My heart is to constantly go to you for provision. It's creating a rhythm that gets us off of our own throne and keeps God on his. That's what Jesus is saying. Get off of your throne, keep God on his. He's the provider. You are not. You go work hard, you go toil hard, let him bring the increase and then you be obedient towards him, right? This is where Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Either you will love one and hate the other. This is the God of mammon in which he talks about. So we gotta be careful. Keep that constant reminder and forgive us our debts. This constant reminder that we're gonna sin, we're gonna fall short, we're not gonna add it all up, we're not gonna come together. So we're saved by grace profession of faith. We're saved and redeemed. We're living a life constantly in communication with him daily. 
God, forgive us yesterday. We may have thought something, did something that was out of alignment with your will. We sin. Forgive us today for our trespasses, for what we have done. Right now, we need your salvation. We need your forgiveness. Then it goes on to say, and we also have forgiven our debtors. So as a church community, our debtors, forgive us of our transgressions as we forgive those that have transgressed against us. We live a life of grace in our community towards people that are constantly going to harm us and sin against us. It's that constant reminder of we have received grace, so we should give grace. Verse number 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is saying inside of here is, don't lead us into places where we're going to be tempted to sin. Don't put us in there. God, God, keep us away from those tough places. Keep them from, uh, away from those places that could harm us. Deliver us from evil. The evil one that we know is seeking who he may devour. He's walking around roaring like a lion. He's seeking who he may devour. Keep us from him. It's constantly staying in tune and aware as a believer, always engaged in life. The thing about the Lord's Prayer is it's not meant to be this liturgy that we write off. It's supposed to be a template for us to follow. Have a perspective, Heavenly Father. Hallowed be his name. He is everywhere all at the same time. You know, our daily bread. Oh, God, we need you to give it. Forgive us. We're forgiving others. Lead us not into the Man, God. And this is a method that we use as we are praying without ceasing as we're constantly engaging as believers. It's what God has called us to do, but it's the hardest thing for us to live out. So today, what I thought it would be good is for us to just have some time right here, as awkward as it may be. I'm all about the awkward, I love it. For us just to press in just for a moment and spend some time where we pray like this. Whereas we begin to communicate, as we begin to tune in, as we begin to cast our worries and our cares on him, the Holy Spirit, we serve a living God, that the Holy Spirit now can engage those areas of our life that have not, we haven't allowed God to move in. Maybe we, we can apply this where it's not just that mystical thing out there on like, well, it doesn't really matter but we really can say your kingdom come. We're we're praying your kingdom. We can shift things that are happening here on this earth. We're going to pray big prayers. You know what the the Bible in Acts 2 says this, the believers met together and they they listened to the the apostles' teaching. What was it? They were were preaching truth. They were preaching the gospel. This is the reality. You know, it says they committed themselves to the fellowship. It says that they... They took the Lord's Supper, the Lord's, the, the Holy Communion together. And the last thing he said, they prayed. And if you read in here, it says, and the church exploded. The church exploded. But it says it was four things they were doing. Listening to truth. Committed, united in fellowship. Taking the Lord's Communion together, fellowshipping. And they were praying. And the church was exploding. It's amazing. I think we do a pretty good job on the first three. We preach truth. 
as hard as it may be, as challenging as it may be, as many emails as I may get, as many people may be not happy with it, we cool with the truth. We good. I'm uncompromised. I got the, I'm living in the light. I'm not, I don't got a veil of darkness over my eyes. That's already been pulled back a long time ago. We're committed in this house. Those that are in this house, that love this house, are committed to this house. Ain't no lie. Our giving doesn't go up by 10% through COVID if there ain't people that don't love the house, right? People love this house, right? That's why I don't care if people come back or they don't come back. All good in the hood, there's people that love it already anyways. No matter. We have a strong community that loves the truth, loves Jesus, and wants to live a life following him and build this kingdom here on this earth. Not a kingdom, the kingdom. We got it. We take the Lord's communion together. We fellowship together. But man, prayer is probably a hard thing. And not just us, that's probably a church community across the board. And so this is a practice we gotta lean into. It's something that we gotta practice every single day. So let's stand up to our feet here today. And we're just gonna press in on this. Press in on this area. Let me just highlight it for you. If you are in here, just go through this method right here. Focus on God, your father. If you have a, a negative impression around a fatherly figure, confront it right now. Say, God, help me with my negative impression around a father. Begin to pray that over your life. Realize in this atmosphere right now that the God that we serve, Yahweh, the creator of the universe is everywhere. You are breathing him in. You are breathing him out. He is closer than a brother. He is right up next to your skin. Hallowed be your name. Place him there. Let him be revered in your life. Take, take this like tenacity around you that nobody's gonna talk bad about your God. That he is holy, that he is set apart, that he is fully good. If you struggle with an understanding of what the kingdom is and what that kingdom looks like here on this earth, if you struggle staying committed to the kingdom, you get persuaded by so many different ideas and ideologies and philosophies that are all around in our world, and you don't come back to this place of building the kingdom and, and praying God's will, start to pray that over your life right now. You wanna see heaven right here on this earth. You wanna see his will be done. You wanna see his kingdom built. Pray over his, the needs in your life. What do you need here today? What do you need God to do in your life here today? Begin to pray that. Pray for forgiveness. Pray that God would not lead us in temptation. Keep us away from it. So let's just step in. These guys are gonna worship a little bit. So just begin to pray it. I gotta shut up for you to, to engage in. I don't wanna talk anymore. You gotta just step in. Pray it through.